16 to 17. Uh, but we're going to watch it on the DVD now, Steve, and then Simon. And to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples morning. We're into uh, week three out of uh, six weeks of becoming a contagious Christian. And there will be some of you here this morning who are regretting what you decided to deny yourself during Lent. You may have given up chocolate and you may have preferred to give up listening to sermons because we're on this topic once again. And if that's you, let me give your inclination some respectability. First of all, it's written in a foreign language. American. It doesn't relate to a culture where talking about faith is more accepted than here in the UK. Secondly, it's repetitive. It's the same message taken from a different angle week after week and it gets a bit monotonous. Thirdly, it's formulaic. Follow the manual and things will happen. Step one, step two, step three, bing, here becomes a Christian. Step four, it's for evangelists, and I'm not an evangelist. So why don't we just get the evangelists in a room and they can go through this if they don't already know it? Reason five, it's a six-week guilt trip. (laughs) Which leaves me feeling like I should be a better Christian sharing my faith. Well, there's a grain of truth in all of these, though each is flawed in one way or the other. But if that's where you're at, I have a message for you. Don't let the medium cover over the message. And the message is this, that people around us need Jesus and we are the best introduction most of them will ever get. And if you still can't bring yourself to love and be passionate about being a contagious Christian, try this. 
try just being obedient and uh, resolving this Easter not to grumble about the way in which the message is taken and you may be surprised at how God will bless you. Now, not all of you will feel that. Some will be enthusiastic about this. But I think that God actually says to us, if we're prepared to do things obediently, not to give up our critical faculties, but to do things obediently, then he will speak to us in ways we had never expected. And he'll do things that we'd never expected because we're being obedient. Now, today's Bible reading recounts the calling of Matthew in Mark's account. And Matthew was a tax collector. And I always like to have some humorous story or other about uh, the subjects that uh, that I'm preaching about. And so um, I looked around for a good story about a tax collector. And I only found a fairly mediocre one. So I said to Pam, I said, have you got any stories, any really good stories about tax collectors? And she says, no, I haven't. But I have got one about a baker, she says. Will that do? And I said, probably not, but tell me anyway. And uh, uh, she said, how did the baker get electrocuted? He trod on a current bun and the current ran up his leg. (laughs) I said, that is not one for mentioning on Sunday, so I'm not going to mention it. Uh. (laughs) But the one that I found, though it's not quite so good, is what's the difference between a tax collector and a taxidermist? The answer is a taxidermist only wants to take your skin. And we're talking about Matthew, the tax collector, today. And he's going to teach us something about having a contagious faith. Now, I think most of you will know about tax collectors in New Testament times. Uh, They were given a franchise for a particular village or an area, and they had to pay the Roman authorities the estimated tax yield of that area. And if they could get any more, and most of them could, then that was bunts for them. That's perhaps why Matthew was found by the Lake of Galilee. Because people in Galilee earned their living by fishing. And so as the boats came in, they'd see whether or not it was a good catch or not, and whether or not they could be milked for a little bit more money than would naturally be the case. In some cases, they would win their franchise by open tender, and whoever offered to collect the most would get the job, rather like the rail franchises today. And they were probably as popular as the rail companies are too. But there are some interesting things that we can learn about Matthew and from Matthew. And there are going to be four things that we discover about Matthew, and four things that those can be then used for us as means of helping us to, ha- to see how we can be contagious Christians. And the first is that he was not an obvious candidate for conversion. He had a steady income, he had no obvious needs, and certainly he was not a likely ambassador for Jesus. It required no security check to reveal that he could do considerable damage to the Jesus brand. He was a tax collector. And what sort of a team player would he have made alongside people like Simon the Zealot, a rebel against the Roman authorities? What was Jesus doing in taking such an unlikely candidate? 
It's interesting that in Matthew's own account of uh, his conversion, which comes in chapter 9, in chapter 10, when the 12 disciples are described, Matthew is still described as Matthew the tax collector, not the ex-tax collector, not the reformed tax collector, Matthew the tax collector. It's like Jesus is is, uh, uh, blazoning the most inappropriate thing to say about Matthew because he sees that he will be able to use it. Jesus saw the potential that was hidden to everyone else. That's point one. Point two, Matthew needed compassion, mercy. He didn't need condemnation. Did you see him uh, when he was uh, uh, portrayed there? Not a lovable character. And the most natural thing to do would be to provide him with a, a strict lesson that he needed in about how to improve his life. But he needed compassion. In Matthew's version of this event, chapter 9, when Jesus confronts the critics of his choice of company, he says he's a doctor who has come to heal the sick. And then he quotes from Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, where it says, I, the Lord, require mercy, not religious observance. The word for mercy literally means helping people in trouble. And who was Matthew? He wasn't in trouble. He had his life all together. He had a secure income and he could cope with life. And yet God in Jesus saw that he needed compassion, mercy. Here's the third thing that we discover about Matthew. His life, and not just his career, were completely changed. In Luke's account, he says, he got, Matthew got up, left everything and followed Jesus. He left everything. I wonder what his wife said when he got home and said that he'd given up his job and his regular income. He had no friends because he was a tax collector and now he had no money either. He would be totally ostracised. It's interesting, it was a similar story to the other tax collector who's mentioned in the Bible. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? That's in Luke chapter 19. And it says that when Zacchaeus met Jesus, he said, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Transformation. Transformation. And here's the fourth thing. He held a party just to rub his wife's nose in it. He not only came home to say that he no longer had a job, but he then held a big party. It says in Luke's account, a great banquet for Jesus and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And it's interesting, isn't it, how these two tax collectors who became Christians and followers of Jesus both did so in the context of a meal because Zacchaeus was told that Jesus wanted to come and have a meal with him. And the meal has a real significance. We know this. We know that when people gather together around uh, the, uh, the table to eat, there's something special uh, about that event. Okay, so those are the four things that we can learn about Matthew. Now let's try and see what we can learn 
for ourselves as being contagious Christians from those four things. The first is that he wasn't an obvious candidate for conversion. And you and I may be drawn to the sorts of people who we could imagine will become Christians. Maybe an obvious seeker, somebody who's always asking questions about the faith. Or maybe someone going through trouble. And we may well be right, because sometimes trouble does strip away the certainties that people have and cause them to ask deep questions. But God isn't limited to the low-hanging fruit that's easy to pick. So if he lays someone on your heart who shows no sign at all of being interested and having no need at all, go with it. Because God's not uh, uh, overwhelmed by the difficulty of that person becoming a Christian. Think of St. Paul. There weren't many signs there that he was ready for the gospel, but God was doing work in him that we couldn't see, that Ananias couldn't see when he was called to pray for Paul. The second thing is that uh, Matthew was in need of compassion, mercy. And it's interesting that in perhaps the two best-known parables, the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the Good Samaritan, that same word, compassion, comes up at the point in the story uh, where uh, the critical uh, uh, change takes place. In the case of the prodigal son, when when the son comes back, the father sees him, and it says he was filled with compassion. And the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan came through when he saw the person who had been mugged, the victim who had been mugged on the road to Jericho. It says he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. Now, this is a hard one for me because I'm thinking about the people that are on my list to pray for uh, while we go through this course. And they are not the sort of people that you think you should have compassion for. They're not the broken son. They're not the mugged victim. They're not the starving child. They're not the person who's struggling with their job or their relationships. These are people who have life together. They're comfortably off, they have good relationships, and there's no way in which I could say I should have mercy on them be compassionate. It's rather arrogant, it's judgmental to suggest that. And yet, as the song that we sang earlier tells us, everyone needs compassion. And the last line of that, everyone needs compassion, comes, Jesus conquered the grave. So however complete these people may appear to be, it's not me being arrogant to say, if they have not got their future secured, if they've not got the full joy that they could have in life, then I should have compassion on them. Not judge them, but to want to share with them the very best that I have been given myself. The third thing we discovered about Matthew was it was a changed life. And this is critical. We don't know how many of, the, of Matthew's friends became followers of Jesus as a result of that dinner party or their subsequent contact with Matthew. We don't know if there was a special interest group in the early church called Tax Collectors for Jesus. But we can reasonably assume 
that the change in him spoke louder than any words could do. And the same is true for us. If people see a life that's on fire for Jesus, it will add leverage more than anything that we can say. Especially if what we say has been surrounded by prayer beforehand. And we will be surprised at what might be the case when that happens. And this is where I think people who have come to faith recently have a particular advantage as people can see the change. Because when people come to Christ in adult life, then they make decisions that they never made before. And for those of us who've been Christians for many years, it's difficult to show the contrast. But it's still possible. It's still possible that Jesus can see, uh, that people can see how we handle money, how we deal with the unexpected, how we show care, how we deal with difficulty, and that can speak volumes. That's a changed life, something different that's worth having. And finally, what did he do? He had a big dinner party. He had a party for his friends to introduce them to Jesus. He didn't cut his links with the past, but he used them as a bridge over which Jesus could travel. And it's this aspect of Matthew's conversion that is the reason that we're looking at this today. Because in our series, we're looking at how we can use the relationships that we've got with people who don't know Jesus to act as a bridge which allows Jesus to cross over to them and them to cross over to Jesus It may well be that it's done through a meal. It may well be that it's done through uh, other uh, uh, aspects. And uh, I'm going to ask Anna now to come and tell her story about how she came to faith to show that various little things can make a big difference. Hello. Um, Well, basically, um, it was a sort of gradual thing with me. Um, Tish invited me back in May 2011 to the pet service, uh, and I brought my previous dog. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Um, But I didn't feel ready to start coming to church at that stage, so um, that was that. Um, And then in December of the same year, she invited me to... There was an event where they played the film uh, The Nativity. So I came to watch that, really enjoyed it. Um, But... That was that. I think I probably went to church back home because my parents were Christians. Um, But then later on in the year, the following May, was divinely. And um, Tish invited me to that again. And uh, at that time, uh, I said yes, obviously. But also, I was going through quite a difficult time in the sense that my dog that I'd brought to the pet service was really ill at that time. Um, And that was the key thing. I think it was all tied in together because... The day of the Divinely event, in the um, afternoon when I was walking the dog, I, she was very close to the end, and I, but I felt a real presence of God then. And then I went to Divinely, and that was it. Um, I just felt, right, that's the time, I think. And I, I started to come to St. Paul's after that. But it took three invitations by Tish um, before I finally started coming, um, just because the time that was the final time that it was right. So it wasn't a very exciting sort of um, process. She, she, she was just very persistent, and I'm very grateful. Anna, thank you. Now, uh, that's, that's fine. Thanks. Do sit down. Two interesting things to say out of that. One is that, that when I asked Anna, she said, well, it's not a very big, no, not a big story, not sort of uh, Damascus Road stuff. 
But of course, it was significant because it brought her to faith. And the other thing is, I asked Tish if she would stand up and say something. She said, but I did very little. So that's the message, really. Only a very little is required because God does the work. Okay, we're coming to an end now, and I've got five more points, but they're all up there, and they're going to take a very, very short time. But as we think about developing our relationships, first of all, pray first for God to work in other people and not in yourself. The One of the reasons why we feel guilt about this is that we pray that God will give us the opportunity and we'll say the right words, and it's about us. Let God do the work in the other person, and then our role will be very small. Think about Ananias when he was called to help, Jesus, to, to help Paul become a Christian. Ananias did very little. He just responded to what God was already doing in Paul's life. Secondly, pray for a change of heart, not of circumstance. We very often pray for people because they're in difficulties and the like. Those very difficulties may be the means that God uses to bring people to a real sense of faith. Then be disciplined and persevere in prayer. I hope after this course is over that if you haven't seen changes in the people that you're praying for, you won't give up because persistence is one of the gifts of the Spirit for us to pray for those people. Look for random opportunities to show compassion, to do surprising things that are not expected. And finally, don't be surprised if God answers in quite unexpected ways. We pray one thing, God answers in another way. He's the one who takes control. Amen.